All right, this is Money Talk. I'm Andrew Work, bringing the best guests uh, to Business Talk in Hong Kong, starting with Andrew Sullivan, the founder of Asian Market Sense. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good to have you back on. Also, uh, Dong Chen, the Chief Asia Strategist and Head of Asia Research at Pictet Wealth Management. Good morning, Dong Chen. Good morning. Dong Chen, I'm going to start with you. Um, I said in the opening that my term of the day for finance was going to be snowball derivatives, but you have the word of the day, funambulist. Your recent report said that uh, the markets were going to be, uh, 2024 was going to be the year of the funambulist. What is a funambulist and what does it mean for us? Well, fundamentalist means that a person walking on a tight tightrope, which we think is a situation for the current global economy where, you know, policymakers are trying to maintain a pretty delicate balance between a soft landing scenario or a soft kind of deceleration scenario and a possibly more severe kind of slowdown of the global economy, particularly in the developed economies. Okay, so you're, you're saying that there could be a soft landing if they fall off that tightrope? Uh, they've, they've got a net underneath to catch them. I mean, uh, or, or I mean, or could could things go very wrong? Is, well, is there a net? Well, there are actually a lot of uncertainties out there. I think at this point, the market pretty much pricing a, a soft landing scenario. But uh, you look at the, the world, you know, you still have two wars going on at the same time and the potential escalation in Middle East. And, you know, one of the, I think, the, the key element of the soft landing scenario is that, you know, disinflation is going to continue this year, right? And I think that actually subject to some uncertainty. If you look at the oil, just the, in your introduction, you talk about, you know, crude oil at this point, we're not looking at any surging oil prices. But imagine, you know, the disruption in supply chains and also the oil, uh, crude oil price surge in a risk scenario, this actually could derail the, the current narrative of uh, soft landing. Right. I mean, when you, when you talk about infl inflation, I'm thinking, is it, is it generalized or is it China's got deflation? They are exporting to the rest of the world. Uh, you know, news, they're going to be dumping a lot of unsold EVs onto the market. Detroit has already announced they're going to be shutting down production lines for some of their electric vehicles. Um, anticipating that, um, is that inflation going to be everywhere or is it or is it going to be everywhere because it is coming out of China? Well, uh, I think that at this point, the uh, the inflation scenario is more of a risk and our base case scenario of a surging inflation. But we just point out that on top of this, you also have, you know, United States economy, everybody look at the very resilient uh, household sector consumers and so on. You know, we also are trying to monitor this part very carefully because you look at the labor market so far we haven't seen very uh, large layoffs or unemployment at, at all. But uh, if the economic situation continue to, you know, uh, slow down, potentially you have more severe uh, labor market slowdown. And that can lead to, you know, a, a loss of major pillar of you know, the resilience of the U.S. economy. So but basically putting all this together, potential, you know, the risk of, uh, uh, you know, higher inflation and potential more severe deceleration in the economy. So that's one of the things that we look at as risk. So that's why we think that policymakers actually cannot be complacent. They have to be handling this uh, situation uh, very carefully. Andrew Sullivan, what say you? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, the, the, the reality is that a lot of people haven't experienced inflation for the last 15, 20 years. So um, a lot of people out there aren't quite sure what the impact is going to be. 
But um, I think we're going to still see the Fed being very cautious about cutting rates in the short term because it knows it needs to squeeze that inflation out. It was it was wrong footed early on by thinking that it was transitory inflation and it turned out to be sticky. So, um, so yes, it's a, you know, it's going to be something that needs to be monitored very closely. Uh, monitor closely. So, I mean, if you say monitor closely, that suggests to me that it is uh, inflation risks of higher inflation could be. Uh, event driven, that they are not structurally built into the economy. It's not like uh, we, we're doing something that is building up, you know, uh, that is building up pressure that will be released in a, in a sudden burst somewhere. Um, it, it, do you think that's a fair assessment of it? Do you, do you think really it's if there is inflation, if there are threats to the global economy, that they will be event driven? Or, or do you think there might be structural risks built in, like the U.S. debt? I think we've already... Well, I think we've already seen some structural risks. I mean, we had the, the auto workers strike before Christmas, uh, wanting to put wages up. We've certainly seen, you know, the, the public sector in the UK pushing for wage rises. Now, a lot of that inflation takes time to feed through into the system. Uh, and that's why I think the Fed has been very clear in saying that it's going to keep rates higher for longer because it wants to wait and see those see whether those factors really are feeding into inflation or whether it's managed to contain them. So I think there's an element of structural there, but equally, as, as we said earlier, I mean, we've got two wars going on that could have an impact. Um, the, the, the tension in the Middle East continues to, to simmer away. Um, we're seeing shipping costs rise because of that. Uh, these will all feed into inflation. Okay, I mean, I, I mean, you've both pointed out, yeah, the, the two wars, I mean, but yeah, two wars. Doesn't seem to have. Doesn't really seem to be having a, a big impact. I mean, if if there was some, uh, uh, I mean, if there was something more more, if kind of a, a more vigorous uh, war in this part of the world, uh, it, I think it might have it might have a bigger impact. But I mean, is 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 a localized war really such a big impact now on the broader global economy, or does it just hit specific markets like like grain exports from Russia and Ukraine, for example? Well, I think the logistic is has already, uh, you know, that the price, the freight price actually has already partly started to uh, reflect that. You know, you, you have the Red Sea situation, actually, that actually led to the rerouting of fleets and so on. That is going to push up logistic prices. And one thing I'd just like to mention, I think, which is a structural factor, and I think very important in the long term, is a China factor. When you think about the disinflation uh, over the past few decades, you know, China played a big role, you know, in exporting those low cost products. But now China has the capacity. But the problem is, you know, in many parts of the world, actually, many countries are emphasis the idea of so called reshoring. That means to to some extent, recreate a set of supply chains trying to reduce the reliance on China that is very expensive. And uh, that's going to be, you know, uh, potentially in the long term is going to push up inflation. Yeah, Andrew. Agree? Concur? Yeah, no, I agree entirely with that. I mean, I think yeah, it's, you know, we've gone from the uh, you know, believing that China could be the, the manufacturing base of the world and we could do everything just in time to, you know, as you say, onshoring and, uh, and, and having production that's just in case rather than just in time, all of which adds to adds adds to costs. Mm. I mean, if China, if we are in this position where China is exporting uh, disinflation to the rest of the world, hey, that's great. You know, inflation comes down, uh, then interest rates can come down, everybody happy, but not in China. I mean, that that's not great for China if, if you know, they're in a disinflationary period because their economy is uh, in a hole, youth unemployment's high. What, what uh, Dong Chen, what, I mean, is where can the Chinese government try to avoid being, you know, taking the hit for the rest of the world? 
Well, actually, you know, the, you look at the current situation is kind of weird, but I think that exactly reflect what I'm saying, right? Because you look at China, you have deflation, and the rest of the world still with some lingering fear of inflation. Basically, you have this huge capacity in China in many industries, but the, a lot of this product actually facing barriers to get to the rest of the world. I mean, look at, for example, look at solar. Uh, solar power equipment. You know, in many countries, actually, Chinese products are facing sanctions or even much higher, you know, tariffs. Basically, then you end up, you know, Chinese with this extra capacity, but cannot be fully shipped to the rest of the world. And so you have the coexistence of deflation in China and also potential inflation or fear inflation in the rest of the world. But I mean, I mean, if China, if China wants to get, you know, kind of get on people's good side or is there more they can do to support their export economy? Or are they going to have to introduce reforms or provide other supports for the domestic economy, uh, whether it's you know promoting domestic consumption or removing red tape or more government spending? I mean, is there is there something they can or something they will do to provide more support to the economy? I don't think they can do much to change the exports. That's out of their control. You know that's mm -hmm. why you know, the Chinese government is trying to push the idea of so-called dual circulation. You know, the part of inner circulation basically means, you know, promote domestic consumption. But uh, unfortunately, at this point, you're hit with another domestic issue in China by itself, which is the property sector. It is a totally domestic, you know, problem. And uh, that has a big disinflation, you know, pressure on the economy and leading to lower consumption. So I, I, I think there's one way uh, Probably one way out is just much more significant government policy stimulus. I mean, they, they need to do it. They need to, especially on the fiscal front, accommodated by the monetary policy. But so far, we think that what we've seen is not enough. Oh, so you're saying more government spending, lower interest rates. Um, yes. Andrew, Andrew Sullivan, do you think that's the right path? I mean, what about uh, cutting red tape or reducing interprovincial trade barriers? I mean, are there, are there other non-Keynesian methods they could use to stimulate the economy in China? I think they'll, they'll struggle, to be honest. And I think the, you know, the, the indebtedness of local governments and the fact that the, the whole property system and the way it's been used to finance local government uh, has been found wanting. So there's going to have to be a radical shake-up there for them to, um, to be able to you know, provide stimulus again. And of course, you know, last time when we had the financial crisis, they stimulated the property market uh, and, and they created this problem for themselves you know, down the line. So they are very, very cautious about doing that again. And I think you know, in the press today, we're seeing that uh, you know, Beijing saying that it's actually going to start curtailing some infrastructure projects because the local authorities are in such indebtedness. Um, at the end of the day, they've got to get their balance sheets back in order uh, in order to to provide stimulus, uh, otherwise it just won't work. Hmm, big country, hard to keep track of all those municipalities everywhere. I mean, that's a, that's a lot for the central government to keep an eye on. Uh, do you think they'll? I mean, I know this the the municipal debt issue has been uh, kind of dragging on for some time now. Are there levers that Beijing can pull to get a, to get a handle on all that on on each of these individual municipalities out there? I think it's going to be very difficult. And I think the other problem that we have is the opaqueness of Chinese data these days. Um, and I don't think it's just for the West's looking at data. I think internally in, in China, you know, a lot of the cadres are um, seeing that loyalty is more than efficiency. Uh, and so once again, we're back into the stage of, you know, cadres reporting what it thinks Beijing wants to hear rather than necessarily the truth. Uh, and that will make resolving the problem much, much more difficult. Dong Chen? 
Well, I, I do agree, actually. I think, uh, you mean, from my observation, I think now the uh, policy-making mechanism may have uh, some kind of issue out there because it seems that the Chinese central government has too many objectives they try to achieve simultaneously, you know. So uh, it actually it creates, potentially can create confusion for lower level officials in terms of uh, policy making. So that's why, you know, to to really reach a conclusion on things that I think that are required, more decisive stimulus does not seem to be imminent at this point. Hmm. Gentlemen, we've got about two minutes left and we do have all the rest of Asia to look at. Uh, do either one of you want to take a position on Japan, Korea, or even locally Hong Kong? Well, I think that's well, Japan. Japan yeah, at this point, I'm sorry. Yeah, probably. I, I was just first. I said a few words about Japan because at this point, Japan seems uh, turned out to be pretty hot. Uh, we think, be, you know, be, beneath the, the market performance, I think there are some structural forces out there. You know, Japanese economy, we think, is normalizing, and also I think the policymakers are making conscious, you know, decisions, trying to revive their, you know, uh, the capital market and so on. I, I think that Japan is uh, at this point is a market really really worth watching is it a bit of a currency play do people think that at some point you know the yen can't go any lower it seems to have met a lot of resistance at the 150 mark um i mean if you're investing in japan now will the currency help you out in the medium term well currency of course is how pushing the market you know in japan you look at the 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 the, the, the composition you still have a lot of export out there but uh, i think more importantly is people realize that japan potentially actually uh is no longer the kind of the sleeping guy you know over the past few decades there you either wake up you know you really look at the structural changes in terms of behavior change in corporations and even in people's mindset i think that is big okay andrew sullivan final word japan uh hot or not in 2024 make it quick yeah, very hot. And I think you know, the fact that China is doing badly means that a lot of investment houses are reallocating funds to Japan. And I think the other one you have to watch is still India, again, for, for much the same reasons. All right. Maybe we'll have you back next week. We can get a little more India talk in. But thank you very much for joining us. Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense. Dong Chen, head of macroeconomic research at PK Wealth Management. Uh, 